The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. How are you? I'm good. The more the question, Will, how are you? Uh, we've had two weeks now of you broadcasting from an empty house, and that is coming to an end. How do you feel emotionally about this? This is the yeah, this is my final day in the empty house. I am currently in a, the tiniest room in the empty house because apparently it's the most soundproof of the rooms. I'm out of the bed. You know, obviously a lot of the podcasting has been done from the bed, but I've got to get on a plane in about uh, two hours from now. So I've gone to the laundromat this morning. Uh, and I have washed all the sheets, like, you know, made sure that everything's sort of, you know, fine to leave. The one bit of furniture in the empty house, I thought it should be presentable. <laughs> I thought I should have clean <laughs> sheets. But the, the interesting thing is, do you know, like, when you're somewhere for two weeks and you become, I don't know if you're like this, but because I haven't had, um, mm. I've been doing shows every night, I've had to have a sort of clean laundry, but I don't have any washing machine or dryer here at the house. So every second day, I'm down at this laundromat. And the laundromat at the place near where I've been staying is... Like the street that it's on has some colourful characters. And it turns out that for whatever reason, colourful characters are lured to the laundromat. The laundromat always seems like it's central to... Like it's it's an unofficial meeting place for colourful characters, your average laundromat. Well, it's it's free entry. Mm. There's seats there. There's occasionally a take five that you can flick through. It's open sort of after hours and early hours. So if you need to sleep off something for some reason, uh, I'm not making any, casting any dispersions on these colourful characters. These probably a few uh, ex-football identities, I imagine, in the area. Well, there was a dude in there the other day who was washing his pants. Like he was in, he was in there in his undies, and he was washing his pants, and then he was sitting around in there waiting for you know obviously his pants to be washed and dried so he could put his pants back on, and it's one of those moments where there's a dude there like with no pants on, he's still got his undies on, so um, so like for a start that reassures me a little bit. Because that probably means he hasn't right. fully soiled himself, right? Like if, if, if <laughs> I mean, you got to take your wins where you can, Will. <laughs> so, like, because otherwise he'd have his undies and his pants, you know, in the washing machine. But he's got a clean pair of undies, you know, particularly for this occasion. Yep. So everything's fine. I'm assuming. Well, hang oh. on. Hang on. Clean as far as you could tell, but you were only seeing the outside. Like, who knows what kind of mischief was happening on the inside, the interior lining of those underpants. Yeah, but I'm suggesting if the problem has come from the inside out, like if it's been bad enough to damage your your pants that you were wearing, you're going to see some aftershocks, you know, resonating through the <laughs> underpants. Whereas if the damage has come from the outside in you know that the pants yep. have been the first layer of protection that it might not have made it all the way to the the underpants so he's in a pair of underpants that i i've, I've got to say i only assume are his own because of course there's a third scenario mm. here which is that if you need to take off your underpants and your pants the perfect place for you to get a clean pair of underpants would be in a laundromat he might have gone through some other people's drying and picked out a pair of undies and just whacked them on i don't know officially so was he already there when you arrived he was there in his jocks yes and what was he reading was he watching his his pants being cleaned or being dried what stage of the wash was he at with his Mm, pants uh, i think they were still in the washing machine not in the dryer uh from memory i didn't linger often when you're in an enclosed space with a man who's not wearing any pants you get your business done as quick as possible and get out the door and there is a bit of you that is like should i be leaving my pants unattended in this room with this guy who's clearly in need of a pair of pants but at the same time it's not like i'm going to grab a newspaper and sit across from the dude who's not wearing any pants like and make small chat so i went and got a coffee and left him there so and by the time i came back he he had 
he had left. So I assumed that his pants had either been washed and dried and he was ready to go. I also love that idea of like fantasy versus reality because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was an ad, an ad in the 90s for like Hanes underwear or something, which was one of those reverse sexism kind of ads where it's a couple of ladies in the laundromat and a sexy dude comes in and he needs to clean his jeans. And so, you know, he takes off his shirt, he's got a six pack, peels down his, you know, his tight jeans and the girls are ogling him. And that's like, oh, that's the image you sold. You know, we all dream about the time we're in a laundromat with a sexy person who decides to, the reality is you walk in and some colorful character's there in his wife fronts or washing his pants. It also seems to be, and I don't mean to stereotype, but there's not a lot of women going to a laundromat, like is what Mm. I would say, particularly in the area that I am in. There is a stink of something's gone wrong with your life. If you're at this laundromat, there just seems to be, there's a lot of sort of middle-aged guys staring off into the distance as their laundry gets done for whatever reason. Yeah, you get a lot of Millhouse's dad yeah. in laundry mats, don't you? <laughs> it's a classic Millhouse's dad scenario. You can imagine Millhouse's dad like just there in his underpants having to watch his pants. Yeah. I mean, I was Millhouse's dad the last time we were in Melbourne because it was a, an unexpected trip. Um, uh, uh, I, I had to wash, you know, uh, Gemma's clothes, my clothes, and I own his clothes. And there was the laundry service at the hotel seemed very inefficient and very inexpensive. And I was like, oh, there's a laundromat just down the road. I'll go do that. And you know, I don't know why, but I looked at the like the five star reviews of all the laundromats in the area, and this one seemed to have the best reviews. But I guess it's like, you know. Uh, 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 when you when it comes to ranking laundromats, a five star review isn't necessarily like glowing praise. It's still a laundromat. But this one that I went to, they made I was gonna it- say all the five star reviews said something just said things like very comfortable couches to sleep on, good 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 array of reading material. It's actually quite warm in there at night. Well they what they were mostly talking up was because um, it was one of those laundromats that is what do they call it, like partially staffed. So the staff come in okay. between say ten and two or something like that. And thank God that they were there because I don't know what your laundromat experience was like, but this one, you had to have coins, you had to have like, you know, you got your fabric softener from here, but then you had to get tokens out of here and swap it over here to get your laundry powder. By the time I actually got the wash done, I think there was an extra seven steps to actually getting that laundry done. And I'd gone in too with all this high-minded ideas of, well, I've got baby clothes, so maybe I'll use some baby fabric softener and get those nice and soft for I owner. And, you know, I'll treat Gemma's delicates, you know, differently to mine. And then by the end, I'm like, this is going to take way too long. <laughs> it's all just going in the one wash, no fabric yeah. softener. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> It's all in the first tub and then it's in the giant hottest dryer that goes for eight minutes and everything's dry. I don't care if it shrinks, it'll stretch back again. Well, one thing I've noticed living in this area up in, you know, around the northern rivers um, is there's no dry cleaners. Have you noticed that in your time up here? I don't think that – I think it's when everybody moves up there, Charlie, everyone throws away their good clothes. Pretty much because – I've asked around like a lot of locals and people are like, oh, yeah, but I don't really wear anything that requires dry cleaning. Yeah, we just have the one suit, mate. You know, we share it around for court appearances. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not even wearing shoes. Why are you talking to me about dry cleaning? Well, I did. I, I sort of, you know, I, I did the online search and then I found one laundromat that does like they have like a, a dry cleaning service, but it's only between mm. 10 and midday, Mondays to Wednesdays. And even then they just ship you know, the, the laundry off to a, to a bigger dry cleaner in a bigger town. And so then I started having these ideas of like, well, there's no dry cleaners mm. in, any, in any of these kind of like little towns here. Maybe, maybe I open the dry cleaners <laughs> and I just monopolize the business. And so I started talking to Gemma about like, do you reckon we could open a laundromat? Like, what, what do you need to know? Like, clearly just the investment is in like renting the space and getting all the machinery and all that kind of stuff. So you get a loan for that, but then the expertise about what chemicals do what and how you run it. So then you get a manager in. So then I'm like, I'm costing it in my head. Like, is this a good investment? Is this a good use of my time? Because on one hand you'll corner the market and everyone that I've spoken to, all the people I know who live up here, when you bring up the fact that there's no dry cleaner, it is kind of this light bulb moment of like, Oh, yeah, there's no dry cleaners up here. Maybe that would be like a great business idea. Mm, Or the fact that it has not occurred to them once in that time means that 
there's no real demand for dry cleaning up there. Like you've got to work out which of those two things it is before you get your small business loan and start employing a couple of people. You should work out whether you're going to monopolize the market or whether there's not a market to monopolize would be my question. Well, it's also like I thought maybe, you know, there's Hollywood always loves a film about like, you know, someone, you know, a, a guy quits his job in the city and opens a winery, you know, and it's all about their experiences and learning to bond with the community. I'm like, maybe this is my life's journey. Maybe and I've been fucking around in entertainment for a long time, you know, maybe this is my true calling is maybe I'm a laundromat guy, a, a lawn, a launderer. What do, you, what do you call them? A, a dry cleaner. I'm a dry cleaner. Okay. Well, here's firstly what I will say is that you are definitely not a dry cleaner. There is no way <laughs> that you are a dry cleaner. This is just another one of your business making opportunities hair, hair that will end schemes. up costing so much money. If you are going to go to the effort of hiring a space, uh, employing some staff to deal with the chemicals, you may as well manage a meth lab. At least you know there's a demand for your product in the area. So firstly, I would say that. Secondly, it feels like it's pretty hard work dry cleaning. I don't think that that is... Uh, you've moved to a rural area that's famous for its beautiful outdoors and the idea of being in nature and living a healthy lifestyle. And then you're just going to be, what, at, down at your laundromat 12 hours a day breathing in chemicals? Yeah, it's a good point. And there's also... You know, there's a lot of mold up here. Like that's what you're dealing with a lot of the right. time is kind of like if you have any organic material, it gets mildew and it gets mold. And I imagine if you stuff that up, <laughs> you're not going to get any repeat business. Because in my head, I'm like, look, all I need is capital. I just need some backers. I just need some financial backers to come in and, you know, uh, 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 just, you know, make that loan, uh, get, help me finance that loan. Um, and then we can just hire really good, some, some dry cleaning Mr. Wolf, like some expert who just knows everything about running dry cleaners. He can set it up for six months. Maybe we pay him top dollar to get it established. We hire an apprentice for him. In that six months, the apprentice turns up. The apprentice maybe starts in a lower pay grade. So once Mr. Wolf goes, you know, the overheads come down a little bit. And then we just start making bank. Now, for anyone who's ever worried, uh, wondered how TOEF off-air meetings go, that was a pretty good example of why everybody else involved in this podcast but us makes money out of it. Because like, basically what you just explained was a process in which you're not necessary. What's your role yeah. in this business? Why can't the financial backers go straight to Mr. Wolf and cut out you, the middleman? I've learned something from reading Movement Sunglasses ads over the years. You've got to cut out the fucking middleman and you are the middleman in this scenario. What is your role in this business other than the fact that you've you've come up with the idea? Well, what's bloody Jeff Bezos's uh, idea otherwise, other than, you know, he comes up with the idea of selling things online? I'm the Jeff Bezos of dry cleaning. That's I came up with the idea. I had the money first to, to go in there, or at least I, I, I raised enough finances to get in there. I mean, do, I do CEOs necessarily need to have, like, the essential members of the business? No, they occasionally have had some experience being a CEO <laughs> <laughs> or actually knowing what the business is. Okay, quick question. Okay. What do you believe dry cleaning is? How does I have dry absolutely how do no idea. <laughs> I don't even know if the dry is like an, a literal thing. Like, is, is, do they clean without using water, or if that's just some kind of like colloquialism that's evolved over the years? I imagine dry cleaning is um, uh, uh, using chemicals to uh, chemicals that are calibrated to specific materials to clean clothes without having to soak them and and uh, possibly damage said materials. And how does the actual process of applying those chemicals work then? I think you've muted yourself again. This is Will's Weekly. Uh, he's going to mute himself while Googling For some reason, when I Google, it mutes. Um, okay, so... That might be a preset what function. I, what I was going to say is, um, how, do you, how are the chemicals um, added, do you believe, to the clothes? What, what's the process? How does that work? Uh, imagine it's like that scene in the first in First Blood, you know, when Rambo gets taken to prison and they de-louse him by just putting him against the wall and just throwing powder at him. <laughs> like I imagine someone hands me their $8,000 silk dress and I just put it on a hanger and just throw powder at it. <laughs> I de-louse it. Okay. I've gone to um, How Stuff Works 
And at How Stuff Works, I've asked, how does dry cleaning work? Or- well, before you get into the answers, do you, do you want to spec, do you know how it works? Or are you like me? No, no. I, I, well, he, I do not know how it works, but here's the difference between me and you. Uh, I'm not trying to start a dry cleaning business. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, when you wash your clothes at home in the washing machine... Yep. Water is the solvent used to do the cleaning. Got it. Many types of fabric, however, do not handle water very well. For example, wool and water just don't mix. Yep. Why why do wool and water not mix, do you reckon? Because like it's not like when sheep are out in the rain they shrink. That's a good question. It's one that a dry cleaner would probably know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> What do you reckon it is? Like, if you had to speculate, I mean, it's obviously something to do with the fibrous nature of the wool. The water breaks down some key component in the wool and shortens the length of the fibres. Yeah, but again, I mean, wool is on sheep that, like, live outdoors that must get wet in the nature of being a sheep. So it makes no sense that wool would be no, no but good. You're, you're missing the key factor is that yeah. the wool is still attached to the sheep, so it's mm. being regenerated and uh, uh, each time, like, you know, it's, it's, right. like a, it's like a plant. Like, once you... <laughs> a plant's going to keep growing in the rain, yeah. but then, you know, you put it in a pot. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed how you added extra things you didn't know what you're talking about to the thing you already didn't know what you were talking about you know how yeah, i can explain this thing i, I don't understand to... with other things i don't understand what i love too is i went to like um horticulture and as we yeah. established two weeks ago i don't know shit about that no. <laughs> i was trying to deny my gardener so okay there all right there are many types of stains that water is not particularly good at removing in dry cleaning a petroleum solvent is used instead of water. So you just put petrol on people's clothes. <laughs> That's what you do. Um, it is dry only in the sense that it is not wet with water. Right. Oh. In the early... So it's like oil, it, oil counts. So in the early days of dry cleaning, this solvent was often kerosene or gasoline. Oh, yeah, I love it. Wow. Like, imagine the first person who was just like, you know what you need to get that stain off your jacket? Kero. We'll just get you some Kero and we'll wake that on. Don't don't light your cigarette too close to your jacket. Wouldn't that be, if it turns out, like, so they're doing this Furiosa prequel, you know, the, the Fury Road prequel. And, you know, the Mad Max films are always about gasoline, like getting to the gasoline. What if it turns out the reason they're doing that is they need to keep their post-apocalyptic outfits looking fresh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the, the new Immortan Joe is trying to open a dry cleaner in the post-apocalypse <laughs> world. Um, all right. Uh, so now these days, the industry uses a solvent called perchlorothylene. Perchlorothylene? Mm. Perchloroethylene, probably. Perchloroethylene. Yeah. Sounds like a drag queen. Like if you were if you went to see a drag queen and they were playing like some kind of snooty character, it should be perch ethylorolene. I'm perch loroethylene. Perch loroethylene. Uh, the, the clothes are washed in this solvent, and then the solvent is recovered in an extractor, so it can be reused. Oh, right. So they wash them in the. See, I absolutely 100% thought it was dry. I did not realise it was just that they were taking my stuff and dipping it in Kero. Well, did you think it was like, well, I thought that it was like powders and stuff, like they de-louse the, the outfits by just chucking powder at it? I mean, I never really have thought about it too much. But, um, okay, so they use the extractor, you can reuse it, and so it doesn't evaporate into the air and cause pollution. Once the clothes are cleaned, they are pressed so they look like new. Okay, so the reason they come out like so nice is they press them afterwards. Of course, that makes absolutely sense now that I've said it out loud. I've never considered it at all. There is a fair amount of controversy around perchloroethylene and its health effects at the moment. Uh, well, it, well, the good news is if I wanted to open a dry cleaner up here, the locals, they're not prone to kind of conspiracy theories or overreaction to the idea of like certain chemicals affecting you in a certain way. Like, I think it'd be fine. Well, I think you just call it no vaccine dry cleaners. And 
you distract them. Um, some people are using CO2 now. So some dry cleaners are now using CO2. So I think that's kind of your, that's your area you would have to be going into. Yeah, but that means you're not, so you're not carbon neutral then. So you're actually using CO2, you're releasing CO2 to clean clothes, mate. Yeah. That's not going to fly up here at all. Yeah, You've got to straddle that line between being environmental but an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> it's a real tight, tight rope. Well, I think that you're, you're absolutely right, though, because I think that that's going to be part of the reason that there isn't dry cleaners in the area. It's not just the fact that it's hotter and people don't sort of have as many expensive jackets and those sort of things, but I think part of it is going to be the natural scepticism in that area to doing things that are not natural. So if you're going to open a, like a dry cleaner, you're going to have to pitch it as being like an eco-friendly, natural sort of like, you know, that's that's going to have to be your angle in the dry cleaners, I think. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, this you're asking what would my role be? Mm. Could I just be like the figurehead, you know, in the same way that Ja Rule was the face of mm. Firefest without yeah, I actually... I think that's actually a really good example because this sounds like a Firefest <laughs> style idea. <laughs> just waiting to happen. <laughs> It's not that bad, is it? But I, but I could see myself being like, hey, you know, like I just plug it on TOEFOP. Hey, by the way, yeah. you know, if you're in the Northern Rivers and you need mm. clothes cleaned with chemicals, <laughs> not powder, not delousing powder, come to Chucky's uh, dry cleaners. I feel like you'd, you'd have to be running some other, you know, like the thing about laundromats and dry cleaners and stuff, they always feel like they might be fronts for other businesses as well. I think as long as you're mm. willing to be a front for another business. Maybe the idea is you've got to get in with some local gang, some bikers or some like right. organized crime community and get them to sort of front you so that you kind of run the laundromat out the front, but they're running their like, you know, whatever it is out the back that they need to be running. So you often hear that like, if you open a tattoo parlor, it's just a matter of time before the bikies come knocking and you know, they either want some kind of like payoff or they're going to like firebomb your place. Is that like if you're going to open your tattoo parlor, do you just take that into account? That's just like, okay, cool. Like, we'll just factor that into our takings. We're going to have to pay a bit of like, um, what's it called? Protection money? Mm. Bikey tax. Like, so. Bikey tax. I mean, do because if it's a very real thing, right, that you're going to get guys standing over you, and, you know, tattooing is your passion. You love mm. tattooing. You've always wanted to be a tattoo artist. You're really good at it. You want to open one up. I mean, it would be enough to dissuade me. Like, you're joking about it. But if, like, you know, this business, this small business I wanted to open on it, there's, like, a very strong possibility that I'm going to get a knock on the door by very scary bikers who want me to pay a percentage of my profits to them. Otherwise, they'll firebomb my business. It's a bit of a deterrent, you know? Yet people are opening tattoo parlors all the time. <laughs> it is. You're right. I don't think that perhaps everywhere there's enough bikies to make that a viable sort of... So I think if you're really... Like, I mean, obviously, if you're in the major cities and you're in an area where there's a lot of bikies, then yes, that's probably going to be an issue for you. But, like, I mean, if you really had a passion for tattooing, yeah, maybe you could make it to some area where it just isn't worth the petrol that the bike is spending on riding up to your business to get the collection money, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or is it more that you should just... Just like the, the, if you were if you were the bikey gang, you've just mm. got to stop picking such obvious marks, right? Like, I mean, maybe they do. I don't know enough about bikey gangs, but wouldn't they be better just sort of standing over juice bars and like, what's the what's the least likely place to be a front for you know gang related activity? Mm. Like Seed, which is baby wear. That's where we get all our owners' clothes from. It's just a you go in there. It's just like baby clothing. I mean, wouldn't that be a perfect way to launder some money and just not have the cops snooping by. I feel like baby baby clothes and baby gear is absolutely 100% a good business to use as a front for organized crime because no one really knows what the prices of things should be. You can overinflate yep. things. You could definitely 100%. like, you know, be laundering all sorts of money through the accounts of a a baby shop and people are never that's true. like you know you see some sort of pram that's worth four and a half thousand dollars and people don't even like lift their eyes like anymore they just go yep i guess that's something that is available right well it's not it's not just that it's like regular clothing because you've never had to buy baby shoes for yourself so when you go to a store and it's like fifty dollars for a pair of 
baby sneakers. I I guess that seems right. That's like a, a quarter of what I would pay for for my sneakers. Does that does that make sense? Normally, if you want to launder money, though, that's the the problem because like a lot of the time, you know, these things are about actually laundering the money. You need to have a cash mm. business, and I can't imagine that people right. in baby shops are coming in and going. I'm going to pay you fourteen hundred dollars cash for that baby Bjorn or whatever. Well, I, but every I don't tattoo parlors are they? They're not like stri- strictly cash businesses. They have FPOS machines. I think I've paid for my tattoos with with a card. Mm. But they have uh, oh, oh, with a card, yeah. Well, some places would have, but some places, like you said, have actual cash machines in them, which means there's a machine there mm. that you can get cash out of them and give them the cash. <laughs> Actually, now that you talk about it, the laundromat that I used to use in Sydney was cash only. And she used to do a great... Maybe she's a front for some kind of bikey gang. I mean, I don't think so, but maybe. Like, where's all that money going? Like, what's another business that is cash? This is why it's always like, you know, strip clubs and, you know... Mm, Yeah. Anywhere that people are... what, What sort of business are you happy to pay cash for? Food. Yeah. I think food, food stalls. You're happy to pay cash for food. Um, I mean, these days I feel annoyed when I have to pay cash for anything. Like I went to a night market uh, on Saturday and I was annoyed. I mean, a night market is probably the most obvious place where everything's going to be cash. Right. <laughs> yeah, I always got there and I was annoyed that I had to go get, get money out. But I guess... But that's... Yeah, okay, like, but that's your angle for the Northern Rivers. Like if you're organised crime in the Northern Rivers, there's no point knocking over the cafe or yeah, getting protection money out of the cafe in the main street because that all has to go through the books. The tax department's going to look at it, JobKeeper, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But you know what there is a lot of in the area you live in? Markets. And like you said, yeah. an entire cash economy. So if you're a bikey with a modern mindset, you could just really be doing little tax on, you know, chili jams and, you know, <laughs> wholesale flowers and, you know. And pinatas. <laughs> exactly. Weird photo frames. Just a little bit off the top yeah. of them all. And you get a, and you yeah. get a wander around the markets. That's the nice thing. It's yeah. Sunday. You go down, you get some food, you hit everybody up for their tax. Well, I wonder how they calculate it too, because if you're going to do the night market, like, so clearly the uh, sourdough donut stall is doing a roaring trade, but are you going to stand over them for the same amount that the guy who does the coin art, you know, the guy who cuts those little medallions out of like Australian coins? Because he's probably not pulling in as much cash as the sourdough donut van. No, that's true. And I do, like, I like to imagine, because, you know, there's that cliche thing of like the first time you get shook down. I like the idea of a bikey walking into a tent at some markets and going, yeah, you got a lot of nice dream catchers here. It'd be a real... Real disappointing if something happened to all these lovely dream catchers. If they became nightmare, nightmare catchers. catchers. <laughs> it's funny, I, I, I was stood over once when I was 16 at an underage disco. I didn't know I was being stood over, but these um, two bigger boys came over and they wanted my mate's sneakers and they also wanted us to buy them Cokes. <laughs> but I was too naive and dumb to realise that we were being shook down. Like, I actually just thought I, I was so, like, earnest and kind of gullible that I was like, oh, because he said, I, I want you, I like your sneakers, I want them. And I was like, oh, he's giving yeah. you a compliment. Thanks, man. That's cool. Like, yeah. He wants his own pair. Well, if you work hard like my friend and, uh, you know, you do extra weeding at home and maybe wash your dad's car, you'll get enough pocket money. You too, sir, can own those Reebok pumps. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until he threatened to punch us in the head that I'm like, oh, this is standover tactics. I've heard about this. Well, I told you about, I, I mean, I've told you this before, but the, the one time that I was stood over properly was when I first went to London as a young man. Well, I wasn't that young. I was kind of 25, probably old enough to know better. But I was in Soho and I went to like a pub and it looked like a pretty ordinary pub and I went downstairs to this like bar to have a drink and I'm having a drink there and this like woman comes over and starts like talking to me for like like half an hour and like we're just having like a drink and like you know having a chat and whatever like nothing you know uh, unusual and then after half an hour of us talking this dude comes over like this you know very you know cliched kind of eastern european looking dude comes over and goes well how would you like to spend some more time with uh this uh lady and i was like oh no 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 that's not what uh, i didn't realize that was what was going on here i was just having a drink and like having a chat and he goes well you owe, owe her for her time already 
And then he was like, tried to shake me down for the 30 minutes that I've been sitting talking to her at the table. And I remember him saying it was something ridiculous. Like it was 300 pounds or something like that, that he wanted to like, and then there was, oh, on the um, little, you know, plastic thing, like a menu in front, right down the bottom mm. in fine print, there was this like kind of note about like that the yeah women you talk here, their time is on the clock. Like there was some sort of like tiny little disclaimer around the idea that like, I mean, it's all illegal. None of it's like, this is all right. It's all in completely set up to con people in this exact way but i had found myself in a bar in a dodgy situation in the middle of a con and i realized what was happening but at the same time when you're in the con sometimes there's not much you can do you're like fuck i'm already in the con i know what this is i know i'm being shook down but i don't really know what (laughs) solution out of this there is rather than just to play out the being shook down and so i actually said to him i said like dude i did not know i've said no to this situation um i don't have that sort of money i have a hundred dollars like a hundred pounds on me cash if you want you can have the hundred pounds and he took the hundred pounds because like when you're shaking someone down you're happy for a hundred cash rather than you know like whatever why but, did you say you had a hundred why didn't you just halve the amount you had no because that's what i had and so i knew that i was but he didn't know that dude he i am in that situation where you're making this call right do i say that i've got because I, I knew what i had 250s right yeah. in my wallet right yeah. and so do I go to the wallet and then have to carefully <laughs> peel off one of the fifties and hand it to the gangster? And he's like, hang on, like you've got another 50 in there. Or do I just go with what I have and try to like, you know, you know cut, not get your head kicked in. Exactly. So <laughs> I took that option. The, I'm just going to go with what I have. I had a mate, um, tell me this story of when he was in Vegas he'd been doing a trip across the states and like a total backpacker trip you know uh, and run out of cash found himself in Vegas with virtually no money and um, was in the casinos because at least he could get like free drinks and you know there's a roof over his head and stuff trying to work out where he was going to stay that night and um, a classic con man story where this guy comes down and is like hey man like you look like a cool guy like you know here's a you know, a, a $20 card, like, why don't you go make a bet? And then, you know, this guy was hanging out with him and and we're saying, you look lucky, man. Like, maybe we should pull out some more money and we'll go to this table and we'll go to that table. And my friend was completely aware of what was going on. And he kept saying to this guy, like, cool. Hey, man, look, just before you get too far into this whole routine, I'm broke. Like, I don't have any money. Like, I'm just here, you know, trying to work out where I'm going to sleep tonight. And uh, so, look you might find another mark that's probably more worth your time because I'm, I'm not the guy. And the guy's like, no, nah, man, come on. Look, you, you think I'm going to do that to you? Don't worry about it. We're going to hang out. We're going to have fun. And so my friend's like, okay. So this guy like sort of took him to all these different bars and kept sort of, you know, new people and was getting him drinks and stuff. And But kept sort of pushing this line of like, hey, why don't we go to the ATM? We'll pull out some more cash. I mean, you're a high roller, man. Like I've got a feeling about you. You look lucky. You look lucky. And my friend was like, yeah, cool. This is all great. I just get the feeling that you're not understanding that I, I can't. I can't actually, I can't, I can't give you any more money because I don't actually have it. And the guy's like, no, come on, come on, come on. So my friend said, okay, cool. Let's, uh, it was back, you know, before the days of uh, smartphones and stuff. So he went to the phone and dialed the bank and dialed, you know, he could get your statement. This is what your balance is. And so he, he sort of dialed his balance and handed the phone to the guy. And it was like, you have $20.73. And the guy sort of looked at him and was like, holy shit, man, like you really are broke. And he's like, yeah, I've been fucking trying to tell you the whole time. This like con man thought he was involved in some like battle of wits, some kind of like, you know, 4D chess. And my friend's like, no, I'm genuinely a loser. Like I'm here with absolutely no money. And so in the end, he's like, I actually think I conned the con man just by telling the truth. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, on a very different scale of that, but once wanted to quit a job, but the bosses were convinced that he was negotiating for a raise in salary. And so he was like, no, I'm quitting. And they're like, well, you know what? We're going to like, yeah, we'll add a third to your salary. And he's like, no, seriously, it's not about the money. It's about lifestyle and where my priorities are now. And they're like, you know what? We'll double your money. And he's like, no, seriously. And this person was already earning a lot of money. And then they're like, okay, you know what? Final offer, we will triple your money. And he went, yeah, okay, I'll stay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> but literally was just trying to leave and ended up with triple E's money to stay. I mean, it's such a common refrain, isn't it? Like, no one wants... Anyone who seems desperate or seems like they need something, they're not going to get anything. But the minute you don't want something, it's like the minute you're not looking for mm. love. You know, that's when, or when, the minute you're in a relationship, that's when suddenly, like, everyone turns up on your doorstep. I wonder how you just can't apply that mentality 24-7. Like, why is it that we can't just... It's like that's, you know, um, in office space, how he goes and gets hypnotized because, you know, he hates his job so much and he's halfway through the hypnosis and the guy's saying to him, you know, you're, you're fishing, you don't care, like you have no attachment to this job and then has a heart attack halfway through the hypnosis. So he only gets the first part of the message and then he keeps failing up because it's the same thing. He goes back to work and he just keeps saying, I don't give a shit. And they're like, whoa, we like the cut of your jib. This left of field thinking. Like it does seem to work, yet it's so hard to consciously put yourself into that mindset, which is like, I don't give a shit. You know, if you guys want to pay me, that's fine. Because people love that kind of non-conformity, that independent thinking. Do you think that either of us could become that sort of person if we put our mind to it? If we were just like... I am from now on just going to like not, give, not a give a shit. Whatever. Just whatever. I don't care. I think you I think you already have a lot of that in you. You're definitely much more of that than me. I'm much more of a people pleaser and, and tend to feel that Catholic guilt about not meeting people's standards and stuff. I think you sort of, you have a bit of that already. I mean, we could definitely both ramp it up, but. I don't reckon I could pull it off because I've spent so many years being a people pleaser. Whereas I think if you went fully into rogue, renegade, just don't give a shit, I don't think it's as much of a left turn for people. I've, oh, yeah. I've got to we'll s- suddenly just like, yeah, well, I've got not answering calls. Or I've got a project at the moment. Oh, well, that, yeah, I, those are two examples yeah. that would not change much from what is no. currently happening. You're right. So, no, one I've been thinking about recently is I've had this big project that I've you know have been working on but it's turned out to be a much bigger project than I imagined it would have been when I first embarked on it and it's it become a bit of a um, bane of my existence at the moment because I'm just having to put so much you know uh, work into what is happening and I have a deadline that is looming very large and it's been causing me a great deal of worry about the fact that I just do not think that I'm going to get this completed by the deadline and and the other day I really was trying to rationalize the other bit of it, which is what's the worst thing that happens if I don't get it done? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If I can't get it done, I can't get it done. Like, um, maybe I just have to give less of a fuck about whether I can get it done or not. Because, you know, like I still not, not, not keep trying to do it, but just get rid of the bit, all this like anxiety that I have about, am I going to get it done? Just get rid of that. Mm. Keep working on it, but just put the anxiety of whether it'll get done or not get done away. Give, give less of a fuck about it. Yeah. Yeah. And? Um, not not right. quite there yet. Not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking about it. Because it's hard, yeah. isn't it? It's hard because it's almost like you have to have no ability to... It's almost have to be like a sociopath, like no ability to think about, well, how is my behavior going to affect other people? Who am I letting down with this? You know, my brain is constantly filled with, um, you know, my, my brain runs simulations about, well, if you make this choice, this is what, these are the 45 likely outcomes. These are the other likely outcomes if you make this other choice. And so my challenge is to try and kind of block all that, that out and stick to what I want. But it almost requires you to actually lose a bit of your humanity, I think, to kind of get into that mindset where you just... I hear people talk about it all the time where it's like, well, I can't control what other people think of me, so I'm just going to do this. And it's like, yeah, but surely you have like family or a partner or, or someone who you need to kind of like connect with. Like you can't always just be doing your own thing and the world be damned. Like surely there is an element, even if it's just on a, unless you're a complete Henry Rollins, you know, just lives on his own and just fucking works out and reads books and travels around the world. Like there's got to be some element of you that, that, that needs to be able to connect with other people. Yeah, I find it hard. And this is my major thing with this you know, particular project. The thing that I find hard is, that you're letting some other people down if you can't get it done. Mm. Like, that's the bit. I, I, I don't really care from my own point of view in a way. Like, you know, like I understand that I've 
like bitten off more than I can chew and I've been trying to fucking chew as quickly as I possibly can but I'm literally just getting to the point where I'm not going to be able to get this thing done I don't feel any anxiety around what I've put into it because I know what I've put into it I feel anxiety around how me not completing this thing will have ramifications for other people you know it it would let other people down and that i do still care about that i am not like a sociopath who can just go well fuck them who cares like you know well that that, that's interesting I, i know what my therapist would say which is like sometimes you have to put trust in the fact that other people can cope with adversity as well like that you're you need to make the decision that works best for you obviously within reason nothing that's malicious or you know, intentionally out to damage anyone but you have to make that decision that this is more than i could handle i've bitten off more than i can chew i'm like i'm ha- i'm comfortable that i've given it my best but this is just the way the cards have been laid out and then you almost have to trust the fact that down the line whoever is going to feel the knock-on effect of that will also be able to rationalize or deal with or move on from that it's it's an interesting thing isn't it because on one hand you are you're being very compassionate and you're being you know very sensitive to other people's needs but there is a little bit of um i don't know like condescension in a way that well maybe those people won't be able to cope if suddenly like i change the terms of the deal on them or you know i change what we initially agreed to yeah although uh, and look I, I i kind of agree with what you're saying like i mean they will cope their life will go on it won't be you know the end of you know everything in their world no doubt about that but uh, um but I would feel like I have still, like someone put their faith in you and then you haven't been able to reward that faith. But the truth of it is that I just agreed to do something that I didn't realize how big a thing it was going to be. And, you know, if I'd known the thing was going to be 10 times the work as I thought it was, then perhaps in the first place I would have had a different timeline on when I thought I could achieve it. And, uh, yeah, it's, but, but it is. It's the first thing for a long time that I've really – like, you know, normally I get things done. And so the idea that I have this project that I just have not been able to... It's one of the... In in some ways, one of the arbitrary but great things about stand-up comedy is you just set a date and you have to be on stage in front of people. And regardless of what stage it's at, at that point, it needs to be ready to go. Whereas some other projects that can have those floating dates around them, it can almost make it, like, harder to to get it done. Yeah, you'll, yeah you've got to set that hard deadline in a way um well let's get to some messages uh from people uh if you want to send us a message the best way to do that is to go to tofop.com there's a little contact form down the bottom there Uh, and while you're there you might want to check out some of our other great podcasts like philosophy who's on this week will uh this week on philosophy uh steen raskopoulos uh an episode that is a long time in the making because uh, steen and i have had a couple of goes at recording an episode and this one's uh been sitting around in the can for a little while because steen has some shows that are starting in uh, sydney this week so i highly recommend if you're in sydney for the sydney comedy festival go and checking out steen raskopoulos he is absolutely brilliant and then in the next couple of weeks a couple of really big ones coming along uh, julia morris and amy shark so some really cool episodes of philosophy coming up and this week on fofop uh lindsey webb is on the show uh we're also doing two guys one cup that is back again listen to the mental disintegration of me as my team implodes in a brand new year of football like look if you have no interest in football just come to listen to me just whine and complain about the fact that i follow this fucking team that disappoints me every single year even when they do well will they disappoint me i mean that was meant to be the theme of the podcast but unfortunately my team's doing great (laughs) Real good. Real good. Real good. That's that's not fair. Like, we do this podcast where we're going to commiserate about both our teams being shit, and then suddenly your team becomes really good. They should happen at the same time. Our team should both be really good and really shit at the same time. It's not fair that for how long we've been doing it? Five years? And for most of that time... My team has been shit and yours has been good. Even when you haven't been that good, you've still been pretty good. It's not fair. It is not fair. Life is not fair. (laughs) 
Uh, also in uh, merch news, uh, James Fosdyke, uh, hot off the presses, has just sent us a link to WhatsApp. The uh, biggest horse in hell artwork is now available on Redbubble. In fact, uh, we'll get podcast Mike put a link to it in our episode description. Uh, it's some pretty good stuff. Actually, I've just been hanging up um, all the framed artwork I got from James Fosdyke for the new Tofop HQ. And I don't know if this is an eerie uh, sign of, uh, of things to come, but when I hung the uh, picture for the biggest mm. horse in Norway, the wall couldn't take it, Will. What? The biggest horse in Norway. <laughs> it brought the hook out of the wall and crashed to the ground. I'm, having, I'm going to have to get it reframed. Snap the glass. Not even like Tofop HQ could contain the biggest horse in all of Norway. The horse was too big for the wall. I love <laughs> too big for the wall. Uh, anyway, these messages uh, via our Patreon supporters. Will, I've got some great news. We're catching up. Good. We're into January okay. of this year with our Patreon oh, uh, subscribers. Uh, Patreon is the best way to support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Tofop. There's a heap of bonus content up there. We did a bonus episode last week. There's Everyone Relax. There's Quantum Cop. Just great, great bonus stuff for you to trawl through uh, if you sign up at Patreon.com forward slash Tofop. Anyway, this is from Natasha. She says, Dear Charlie and Will, a brief... Oh, I don't know what this word is. Epistle? What does that mean? Epistle? A brief epistle? Is it epistle? Not, not, not a gun. A, epistle. I don't know. Maybe the T is silent. A, a brief epistle? <laughs> a brief epistle or epistle to extend my gratitude for your amazing podcast. Mike, if you're on this call, can you just uh, Google what EP... Uh, it's a letter. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You straight away didn't even have to Google it. <laughs> We are morons. A brief letter to extend my gratitude for your amazing podcast. Uh, weekly, you inject humor, warmth, and silliness into my week. I have a chronic disease, which requires a, a, a myriad or myriad of hospitalizations. I love listening to your podcast when I'm there. Cannot wait to get my Tofop t-shirt. Thank you so kindly for your generous selves. As a single mid-20s lady, I'd really love uh, you guys to delve into the topic of dating, particularly navigating men who might have inflated egos pick up warning signs etc uh, if you use the show thank you kindly for not using my name by the way I'm happy to expand on what I specifically meant about the dating thing sometimes lol examples as well thank you PS I'm a patron yeah I get that because the message came through oh. on patreon thank you for your support it sucks about your chronic illness I'm sorry about that but the good news is we did an episode a bonus episode all about dating mm -hmm. so as a patreon subscriber maybe you've listened to it already because you sent this in January but you can find that at patreon.com forward slash tofop this is from Michaela hello uh, I'm a new Patreon subscriber I've worked out how to add the bonus episodes to my RSS feed just wondering how to get access to the comics etc on the tofop website it's been it has a button for support on Patreon that links back to this page but I can't figure out how to get them on the tofop website any tips gratefully received many thanks you just find them on the website if you go to the drag down menu uh, under our podcast you'll find everyone relax Oh, no, that's not right. If there's a comics there's a comics uh, selection on the drag-down menu. But if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can find the full uh, back catalogue of all our comics on Patreon, so you don't even really need to go to the website. Uh, this is from Kate. Hi, Will. I'm a hotel employee. With your advice, Ari, your mattress topper. What was your question regarding mattress topper? Uh, whether the hotel would keep the mattress topper if I left it at the hotel or whether they would immediately take it off and uh, put the bed back to, like, normal beds okay so she says number one find a chain of hotels you like most will have a branded bed i.e sofitels have a standard mattress across all the hotels number two any hotel worth their salt won't keep your topper because they have no idea where it's been Ooh. <laughs> number three if you're staying in the same hotel regularly they will hold on to your topper for you and make your bed with topper next time you come oh. kind of dangerous isn't it to mention topper and hotel rooms in the same sentence i i like i didn't you know might have the a, idea a guy that standing I, over you soon i mean i'm like, if you stay there regularly they'll know which topper you won't have to you know <laughs> specify i wouldn't have thought but the Take idea that they could explain. hold on to my topper and then make my bed with the topper already on it and i don't have to sneak in my own topper and make my own bed that, that's good to know uh, this is from Justin. Okay, here it is. Signed up at your maximum level to ensure you get this. Thanks, Justin. You guys got me through a separation, divorce, and a paternal death. New relationship, and now to engagement. 
Also, Will is to blame for me riding off a car and putting me into therapy, but also your openness made me accepting to therapy, and between you both, my partner is making, and my partner, is, they're making me a better person. By the way, he had a late uh, announced show that we had a car accident on the way to, so he owes us for those tickets we never used. Mm. I mean, is that your fault? <laughs> In absolutely no way my fault. Uh, but first, Charles, despite requesting, you've denied me a link to the Tofop Hold music, sending me on a, long, a year-long quest to find it, and I found it, so there. Now my new phone won't accept the ba-di-ba-di-da-da to, I used for my messages, so I blame you both. I mean, Justin's got a lot of anger. Lot of anger. <laughs> We're getting blamed for a lot of stuff that's <laughs> unrelated to us. Beyond our control. <laughs> Uh, now, I have a request involving the engagement, the first TOFOP wedding. We want you both to MC our reception. Uh, well, I do. <laughs> so it clearly hasn't been cleared with the fiancé. It's the consolation I get not wearing an orange safari suit with leopard print accents. Now, it's up to you. We don't have a date yet, and we won't for quite a while. If necessary, I can arrange either the largest horse in Australia or make a world record slip and slide, whatever you prefer. If easier, we can just do the event on uh on wilson property save on travel either way uh either or every way i love you guys and i can say uh, i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and that's the deepest way it and and i mean that in the deepest way it sounds justin uh, what do you reckon do you want to MC his wedding mm, i mean juries he'll blame you for it if you don't if that marriage doesn't work out you know he's going to come back I mean, and say it's our fault i mean it, there's some nice compliments in there and i'm glad that uh, you're here and happy justin i appreciate about that but yeah look i mean i feel like if he's blaming me for his car accident and he's blaming you for not sending him the link to the thing and his phone not working, then I just feel that if we MC his marriage, we're opening up ourselves up to being blamed for anything that goes wrong. Don't you think? Everything. Yeah, I don't think it. I mean, it's funny. We just spoke about like the idea of do you take into account other people's feelings too much? In this instance, I'm okay to be like, nah, Justin, you'll be fine. You don't need to MC in your wedding. Honestly, mate, for your sake, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Ashley. Hey, Will and Charlie. I've been a long time listener for a while now, but took a break a few months ago. No fault of your own, just life stuff. And I decided to hop back in with the latest episode, 329 Resurrection. And oh my God. Charlie's story about stealing his neighbor's dog was the funniest story I've ever heard in a long time. I've retold it to anyone that would listen. It made me laugh so much that I decided I had to write in. This made the reveal of you both being behind on Patreon mail by nearly a year even funnier for me. The icing on the cake was the Patreon exclusive extra content being on the free iTunes version that I was listening to. Yeah, we fucked <laughs> yeah. up there. Uh, the whole thing was like one big classic Tofop welcome back hug. Isn't that embarrassing? <laughs> Like she's taken some time off or he, Ashley, has taken some time off from the podcast, has come back in and we just stumble and trip and bump our heads in like the bloody goose we are. Uh, thanks for all the laughs. I'm back on the Patreon and I've even recruited friends to listen to the pod as well, which is probably the best thing you can do. If you can't financially support us, just tell people. Let, get, get as many people as you can listening to the show. Um, thank you, Ashley. And then the last message, Will, is from Murray. Uh, hey, Will and Charlie. Just when I thought I'd reached enlightenment with all aspects of bin ownership and etiquette, this miracle and or quandary appears. Uh, it's a link to personalized bin stickers. Uh, let me describe. Personalized bin stickers, your street number and street name on a pair of stickers for your bin. And they're just $9. They come in a huge range of colors, and you can even get them in saints or doggies colors with the team logo. Mm -hmm. I just have to ask Charlie. I need to know how you feel about this. Does the curmudgeonly bin Nazi love the idea of publicly claiming his bin as a deterrent to heathens who may be considering uh, committing bin shenanigans or even stealing? Mm. Or would the labeling of said bin be the worst possible scenario in that you've given away the identity of the clandestine operative who can currently enforce bin justice anonymously upon friend and foe around him without repercussion? Well, uh, Maza... The uh, answer is I already use stickers to identify my bins. I already have one Tofop sticker and one St Kilda sticker already on my bin. Not my name and my bloody house number, but just uh, clear markers that I can always work out where my bin is when it's time for collection. Yeah, and where those two stickers belong, close to garbage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. Tune in for one Wednesday for Two Guys, One Cup. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. 